everyone. Good to be in the house of God once again. I'm so glad to know God for myself. God is an awesome God. Xavier, if you can turn that up back there, please. Just a little bit. Thank you, sir. The last time we spoke, or the last time we were together um, in Sunday school, we were talking about conquering discouragement. And um, we pretty much wrapped up, and I know I owe y'all the actual printout of it, but we pretty much wrapped up talking about conquering discouragement. Understanding that discouragement is a response, just like most of the what we've discussed already, talking about depression. Depression is a response to your situation. Discouragement is a response to your situation. Uh, um, fear is a response to your situation. And a lot of that has to do with the way we think. So when we talked in the beginning about arming ourselves, we, we went through the basics, talking about the identity of a conqueror and what a conqueror should do, what a conqueror should have. One of the things we talked about, we broke it down about the armor. And I told you before that we were going to refer back to this, because if you look at it, if we equip ourselves and prepare ourselves, nine times out of ten, we alleviate a lot of the things that we could go through in this life. You, you may not be able to control the things that you encounter, but you can control how you respond to it. God has given us the, the ability to do so. The only one that can remove that ability is, is we ourselves. We can't put the blame on the enemy. The enemy does not have that power. I told you uh, uh, two weeks ago that if God himself will not force you to make a decision but has given you the ability to make a choice, then the enemy doesn't have that power either. Amen? So we can't give him more credit than what he really should have. Now, he can influence situations in our lives, right? But that's all he can do. He cannot force you to respond a certain way. It starts with you. Now, once you have given up your ability to make that choice, you have turned yourself over to the enemy. Then you have put yourself under his control. Whoever you submit yourself to, that's who becomes your master. That's who controls you. That's how we end up with all of these disorders that we have in our world today. Notice the word disorder. Because it's taken out of order. It's taken out of God's context, right? The way he established it. When, it, when God created everything, he created everything in order, right? So a disorder is anything that is contrary to the way God designed it to be. 
So when we talk about some of these things, I know, you know, we have clinical definitions and, you know, we've got all these uh, fine words and, and ways of trying to figure out symptoms and causes and all these other things. But really, the bottom line is, as a child of God, there shouldn't be no disorder in our lives. If we are submitting ourselves to God. Now, like I said before. If a person doesn't know God, there are some avenues, there are some agencies, There's, there are services that are available for people to go and try to find help. But the greatest help we can ever find is in God. So conquering anxiety is no different. If you could turn with me, we're going to Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. Um because I like the way it articulates it. But Philippians chapter 4, and with, we're beginning with verse 6. So it's going to read a little differently than what you have. But it's not taking away from... The message. Everybody there? All right. So Paul says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition... They have here petition being a definite request. Notice what else he says, though. With thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. Verse 7 says, in God's peace, here's the result, shall be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with, with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall be a garrison, shall be a guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what the Amplified Version says. Don't have any anxiety. Now, Merriam-Webster defines anxiety as fear or nervousness about what might happen. I like the way Miriam puts that out there. He says fear or nervousness about what. Isn't it interesting how. We can become so bothered by what might happen. And before you know it, we're making conclusions about what might happen. But still nothing has happened. You can get so stirred up. You can conjure up so many thoughts until you drive yourself crazy about what might happen. You remember Goliath? 
I refer back to the story. Why didn't any of those soldiers take the opportunity to fight against Goliath? Fear. Why? What did they fear? What might happen, right? Why don't we take the opportunity sometimes to go witness to other people? Fear of what might happen. Why don't we obey sometimes when God is telling us to do something? Why don't we pray when we're supposed to pray? Why don't we, you know, the things that God is leading us to do, why don't we do all those things? Sometimes it's fear of what might happen. God wakes you up 2 o'clock in the morning and says, I want you to pray. Well, if I get up now, I'll be tired for the rest of the day at work. I won't be able to function. Look how quickly you can come up with a thought to counter what it is you're supposed to do. God tells you to give up something. Why is it so hard to give it up? Well, if I let it go, life ain't going to be the same for me no more. This is what I know. This is what I have to rely on. The enemy has somehow convinced me that this is my identity. This is my outlet. This is the only way I can cope in life. That's why folks can't stop smoking. Fear of what might happen. Folks can't give up drugs because of fear of what might happen. Folks can't give up their lifestyle because of fear of what might happen. Folks can't stop fornicating because of fear of what might happen. Folks can't stop looking at pornography because of fear of what might happen. If I give this up, what else am I going to do? Nothing has happened yet, though. I've just gotten so worried about what might happen that I haven't done anything to make something happen. So there's no result. The only thing I'm doing is driving myself crazy about what might happen. Wow. (laughs) Years pass by. And I'm still in the same state because I've been fearing what might happen. That's why some folks don't grow spiritually. God is trying to bring us to another level. But we're willing to stay in the same state because of fear of what might happen. WebMD, there's a website called WebMD. Anxiety, they say that anxiety is a normal emotion that everyone experiences at times. Many people feel anxious or nervous when faced with a problem at work or before taking a test or making an important decision. Anxiety disorders, however, are different. They can cause such distress that it interferes with a person's ability to lead a normal life. 
life. You know what I find interesting about a lot of these clinical evaluations of depression and anxiety and fear, phobias and all that other stuff? A lot of times they'll tell you in their research or, or their report, they'll tell you that they can't really identify a specific cause. They can tell you symptoms, but the symptoms are not the causes. They're just the manifestations of what has caused it. I wonder why they can't identify the specific cause. As many as you have people, you have problems. Right? You're going to deal with something in your life. There's always going to be some circumstance that you go through in life. Everybody's challenges may be different. But the cause of a disorder when it comes to depression, when it comes to anxiety and all this, again, it goes back to the way we think. Now, we know how we receive information. But how we think or how we process that information is what causes a lot of our issues. But the way we process the information has a lot to do with the habits that we keep. So, with anxiety, I believe some of the causes of anxiety is a lack of trust. And anxiety disorder, let me make sure I'm, be, I'm clear about that. Sometimes you may be nervous. It's going, it, it is an emotional thing. It's a response, right? But if you stay there long enough... That's when it causes issues, right? So initially you have a response, an emotional response. We're built that way. Some things make us upset. Some things make us a little nervous, right? Some things make us happy. These are all emotions, right? But some emotions is not good to stay in that point. You know, happiness is not always a good thing, depending on what you're talking about. It's all about being happy. Well, some things that make me happy may not be pleasing to God. Happiness is an emotion. To make myself happy, I'm pursuing after things that ain't pleasing to God. That's Happiness ain't always the answer. Y'all with me? I know it sounds a little strange, but it's the truth. That's why you can't always go off of happiness. You got to make sure that your happiness is driven by your relationship with God. My joy should drive my happiness. If I'm driven by happiness alone, I could have some issues. But if we trust, if we're trusting in God, or if we don't trust in God, as children of God, then we can rest assured we have really nothing to, nothing else to rely on. You know, there is no alternative to God. Satan is not an alternative. An alternative would signify that you have an option. That you can benefit either way. It's up to you which way you choose. You know, like the world says, there's more than one way to get to heaven. 
Right. So, you know, if I'm going to pastor's house, I do realize that there is more than one road to take to get to his house. Sometimes we go back and we leave from the church and, you know, we can turn by Taco John or we can turn by Quick Trip or, you know, in either of those roads, they'll bring us to the same destination. But that's not how it works. We're trying to get to heaven. There's only one way to get there, right? And it starts with us trusting in God. The reason why we're in the mess that we're in is because we can't trust ourselves. You know, for me, I'm, I'm just convinced. I don't trust myself to make the right decisions on my own. If any person ever gets to the point where you just you just feel like you just got it. You are deceived. You are nothing on your own. We are nothing on our own. I can't trust in myself. In fact, the Bible tells me not to put my trust in any man. My trust, it it has to be in God if I want to please him, if I want to make it to the destination he's trying to bring me to. But if I don't trust him, Guess what I'm going to do? I don't have the answers on my own. So now what I'm going to start doing when I start going through circumstances or challenges come my way or there's something unfamiliar that I start dealing with. I I don't know what I'm going to do. Right about you start thinking about what might. Right. All these things start coming to your mind about what might happen until you can't even figure out where you are anymore. Now, it doesn't take away from the reality of the situation. Yes, there are situations and circumstances that are they're real. They are what they are. So it's not to diminish the situation. Some folks misread that and say, well, you know what, (laughs) you know, it's not a big, some things, you know, they do, they do affect us. But again, how you respond to it is what makes the difference. I'm sorry, but we have way too many examples in the word of God for me to believe that it's God's will for us to be in disorder. Paul encourages us that everything should be done decent and in order. God is not the author of confusion, right? Confusion represents disorder. So if I trust in God, then I have a better chance of not being out of my confidence in God. You ever have somebody that you confide in, like that you really can call, that you can depend on, that you can lean on? You can expect that they're going to listen to you when you talk. You can expect that they're going to encourage you when you, you know, when you need encouraging. They're going to help you out if they can, you know, if, they, if it's in their power to do so, they're going to be willing to help you out. You call them at two o'clock in the morning and you don't have to worry about them cussing you out. Hey, it happens. 
It shouldn't, but it does. What would happen if we just put that kind of confidence? I find that it's really, it's, and in, in, yes, you know, fellowship, companionship, all those things are important. God puts people in our lives. You know, it's important that we have that fellowship with one another. The scripture encourages us to do so. But not to the point where we lose our true confidant. You might let me down. And you may not intend to, but I may need help and you may not be able to help me at that point in time in your life. But if you're the only one that I'm confiding in, then I'm in trouble. My confidence should be in God. This is what I say this to me. This is my belief. I come to the house of God. I have every confidence that God is keeping the man of God. He's keeping the people of God and, and everybody's going to be doing what they're supposed to do. But if the man of God or if the people of God, somebody else, the person that witnessed to me and brought me to church, decide that they were going to just up and leave God and leave church and just leave everything that they've known. If my confidence is in man, guess where I'm going to follow? Right out the door with him. And it happens. Unfortunately, it happens. I reverence the man of God. I do. I appreciate having leadership in my life. Those who are, I value that. Those who are in tune with God. I'm not talking about no show and no glamour. Somebody trying to look and be big and everything else. I ain't got time for that. But somebody that's taking the time to make sure that their relationship with God is solid and they're in a position where they can lead God's people. I appreciate and I value that. But my confidence cannot be in man. It has to be in God. My confidence in God, meaning that I am relying upon his strength and his ability and not the abilities of man. Recognizing that from the man of God to whoever it is that just comes every Sunday, it's only God that's keeping all of us. That's what the man of God is encouraging us to do is to build a relationship with God, not to be like him. Now, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But notice where he gave the attention to. It's the same thing that the men of God are doing. You know, the women of God, people that are in leadership position that God calls, they're doing that. They're drawing the attention to God. Not saying be like me. I can't tell you to be like me because if you was like me, you have a lot of issues. I told, look, I don't mind being transparent, right? Sometimes it's just you got to work through some things. This thing right here needs, it's got to have some work. Continue to submit, right? Because they want to get out of hand. I'll be real with you. But thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. My confidence is in him because I know he'll keep me every time. Every time I need him, he'll be right there. And whatever I need, he's always got the answer. That's what I love about him. Causes of, of, of anxiety is instability. 
a double-minded man, you can't make up your mind whether or not you want to be in church or not in church. And it doesn't mean that you have to be out there doing some of the blatant things that's out there in the world. But if in your practices, do you know a backslider doesn't backslide overnight? Most people, you know, you look, if you're paying attention, now I'm not telling you to go scoping out and trying to examine people. That's not what I'm encouraging you to do. But if you're paying attention, you'll find out, you'll see. A little leaven, all it takes is a little bit. <clears throat> this is a side note. Y'all know how I like to add side notes in there. But let me ask you this. If the truth, we know the truth. God's word is true, right? If one little speck of falseness is added to that truth, what does it do? Is that is it still valid? We we are we are intelligent beings. We know how to decipher, we know how to pick out. Oh, yeah, we've learned that. We're good. We can pick those things out and say, well, that don't sound right. That don't sound right. And it's good for awareness. Being alert. But now. Let's just look at what Satan did to Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness. He used the right words, did he not? But somehow he convoluted the truth and made it a lie. Isn't it crazy how you can do that? This is how deception happens. All it takes is a little bit of a lie. And if you're not paying attention, you infiltrate. And you keep embracing that and receiving that. After a while, a little leaven leavened the whole lump. Before you know it, you won't even be able to determine what's true anymore. You got some folks who have been in one thing a long time and still are not convinced about certain things. Doctrinal things. Holiness standards. Why are we still questioning holiness standards? been in this thing for years and I'm still questioning that? Who have I been listening to? What have I been listening to? I used to hear all the time, well, you know, <clears throat> so-and-so over there, you know, they, they do all, they dress all kinds of ways and they, you know, they wear this and they wear that and God still uses them. You know what I found out? Just because God moves in a situation doesn't mean God advocates everything that we do. Somehow we mix the power of God and we justify the power of God based upon our behavior. Where we stand. 
It was never about us. God can use who he will when he chooses to use him. He used a lying prophet. He also used a donkey. But just because he used a donkey don't mean the donkey went prophesying to everybody. That would have been cool. We got to watch what we listen to. Watch what we submit ourselves to. It only takes one grain of a lie to make the rest of it the same. Let me put it like this to you. I give you a glass of water. Nice, cold, refreshing water. Looks so clear. You just got finished working out there. You, you know, you're thirsty now. You came in. You, you know, you, you just... Your throat is dry and you're just ready for some nice, refreshing, cold water. There's a glass. But wait a minute. I'm just going to add one drop, just one little drop of poison to it. One drop. That's okay, right? Would you drink it? Would you drink it? Poison. Clorox, ammonia. You name it. You can think of some of those deadly things that's out there that just, you know. Would you drink it? So if you wouldn't drink that glass of water from one drop of little poison, why would you accept anything but the truth? Well, it just has one little drop of lie in it. A lie is a lie. None of the, I mean, regardless of how, what is a little white lie? I, I never understood that. Little white lie, big black lie, medium brown lie. I mean, I don't know. what. Who came up with the categories and color coding? Can I tell y'all something? Y'all okay with... with But seriously, think about it. Think about it. Oh, man. Oh, well, Jesus. Oh, I'm trying to get past something. I don't even want to. Ways to, ways to overcome anxiety. Change your perspective. Y'all, y'all mind if I share something with y'all? I'm just, I'm just sharing it with y'all. Okay, so y'all don't throw no rocks at me. We just celebrated a holiday called what? Everybody know Christmas is about what? 
pastor preached about it or gave us a message on it, a phenomenal message about the reason, to, uh, reason for the season? Does everybody know the history of Santa Claus? St. Nicholas, right? He was, a, he was a Protestant man, right? Known for giving gifts. Can I ask you something? Have you ever seen a fat man dropping down your chimney? I'm just asking the question. Somebody tell me, has anybody ever seen Santa Claus, a fat man dressed in red and white, dropping down the chimney with a bag of toys? I mean, a big sack. I mean, you know. No, so, I mean, I'm just, nobody's seen him coming through the front door, right, through the window. I'm just checking. I have to check, you know, because sometimes we can make assumptions about things, but I'm just wondering if we've never seen this and we know that this has never happened, why don't we tell our... All right, I'm moving on now. Ways to overcome anxiety. I just had to share that with y'all. This is something. Change your perspective. Where you stand will determine your point of view. You ever heard somebody say, hey, walk a mile in my shoes. Try to see things from where I stand. Tall people always joke about, joke on short people, you know, because, oh, I can see more than you, so on and so forth, you know. This is what I thought about. You know, those of us who height challenge, deficit, whatever you want to call it. I thank God for my short height. There's advantages. See, all the tall people laugh. They <laughs> I don't see it now. But listen, check this out. So this is what I thought about. But way back now, we're going back to, I'm referring back to Goliath. Okay, the story of Goliath. Remember when Saul was anointed to be king? One of, one of the descriptions about Saul was that he was pretty much taller than everybody else, right? His stature was one of those things that was a qualifying factor to say, hey, you, you're the man for the job. So why was it then when they were faced with Goliath that this same one who was the leader, this wasn't the first battle that he fought? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me there's a possibility he didn't go fight him because it was he found somebody bigger than him? What amazes me the most is that here comes a little ruddy boy out of all those grown men who were supposed to be men, warriors, and here comes a little boy. And out of all the people that were there who were qualified to fight in battle, they were experienced God used someone who had not been to battle. Now, he's had his own battles. 
But look at the difference from David's perspective. All those men were looking at it from one perspective. Oh my goodness, he's taller. Oh wow, there's no way we can defeat him. Man, if we go up against him, he's just going to slaughter us. And a little boy delivering cheese comes up and he hears Goliath speak. And he says, why is nobody responding to that? Forty days. The Bible says he came three times a day. At some point, I get tired of it. Just be like, look, man, I'm going to try something. Look, if you see me about to go down, you come and attack from the side. Something, you know, come up with a strategy or something. David says, you know what? Hey, anybody else? Y'all just going to let him talk about our God like that? Y'all going to let him talk about? Do y'all realize y'all remember who we are? Oh, no. Listen, I'll go fight him. What's, what's the reward? I always thought that part was kind of funny. What's the reward? What do we get out of it? What's going to happen to the man? That... But I don't think David was so much worried about the reward. Here's Goliath talking all that mess, and David is out there, and he's this little boy, and, you know, Goliath, what does he start doing? Ha, 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 ha. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? You going to send this little boy out here? You're wasting my time. What can he do? Not only is he little, but he has no armor. Is this a joke? But from David's perspective, everybody else, you know, his brothers were like, oh, David, you always into something. You mischievous man. You need to go back home. You're a busybody. You don't know nothing about this, David. We've been to battle. We've been fighting with Saul. You ain't been out here. You don't know what you're in for. But they didn't see it from David's perspective. Why? Because David was looking at it from God's perspective. <laughs> it's so... It, when you look at a situation differently, sometimes you can see something that you didn't see before. I mean, sometimes that's true. You know, if you've ever counseled or sat down with somebody and try to, you know, help them out through their situations, issues, whatever the case may be. Isn't it challenging sometimes to try to see it from their perspective? But it might help you understand this situation a little bit better. That's what counselors do. But when you look at your situations from God's perspective, first and foremost, you're focusing on God then, right? So then nothing else is greater than God. We always sing the song, our God is greater, right? If my focus is truly on him, then no situation really outweighs God. So just based upon that fact, I don't have to worry about anything. For me, that's convincing enough. But then when God begins to reveal to you 
how he's moving in your situation. What he's doing in the process. How he's bringing you through what he's equipped you with. He starts reminding you of the promises that he's made. It changes. The situation is the same, but it changes your perspective on the situation. Takes away the worry. Changing our perspective requires us to change our position. To align ourselves with God. To focus on him. Hey, do you know where you stand? Like I said, where you stand is what? Going to determine your point of view, right? Can I ask you something? If you're standing in, we talked about the armor. Well, your boots are the gospel, uh, the preparation of the gospel of peace, right? The gospel brings what? Hope. So if you're standing in hope, how can you be hopeless? How can you lose hope if you're standing in hope, if you're walking in hope? Remember what I told you about loose straps? Sometimes you just got to tie your boots up. Straps, your strings might get a little bit loose. Your hope might start slipping. Peace might start slipping. Sometimes you just need to tighten up. Watch where you stand because where you stand will determine what you see. And what you see will affect how you think. Change your thinking. Your thinking place becomes your dwelling place. As he thinketh in his heart, so I'm defeated. Well, I guess that's what I'm going to be. Nothing's going to work out. This is never going to change. I'm always going to be broke. I'm always not going to have anything. My children are always just going to be in the world. They're not going to come back to God. They're not going to be saved. Things are never going to turn around. I'm always going to be sick. I'm always going to be dealing with this. I'm always going to be dealing with that. I'm always going to have problems. Anybody ever heard of a victim? You know, part of getting a victim to overcome their issues is to get them to change the way they think. Seriously, that's really what it is. All the counseling and all the money that's spent, all of the stuff that they go through, all the therapy, it's really to change the way they think. They will tell you each and every time with all these things, disorders, a lot of it roots back to, again, the way we think. The way you think is powerful. It's a gift from God. It's an ability from God. You know what your, the way you think is? Put it like this. When you make up in your mind to do something, chances are you're going to do what? You're going to do it. Guess what that is? That's called the will. That's what the will is. The will to do something is a made-up mind. That's why when we talk about God's will, God's will is a reflection of his mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that way your will becomes his will. When your will becomes his will, his will will be done. Isn't that awesome? But when your mind, when you have the mind of Christ, you're no longer unstable. I got to wrap this up, y'all. 
Yeah. Lord willing, we're going to pick this up next week to finish it off. All right. God bless y'all. Lord, keep this.